Well, Philippians 4, verse 5, and just the second half of it, or that little sentence. The little sentence that both Kale and I talked, preached about the last two weeks uh, as part of our message, part, just, just part of my message two weeks ago and then part of Kale's message last week was this little phrase, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. And the more I was thinking about this specific sentence in the original language and in our Bibles, the more I th- was thinking, how important is this little sentence? How important is it? I was driving back from Canada the other day, having had a, a, um, a unique experience there of difficulty, and I was just crying out to the Lord on the way home, and I was like thinking about this specific verse, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. The, uh, the word, the primary meaning of the word that is described as um, uh, at hand or near is, is a proximate spatial aspect. It's like, it's like he's near to us. He is spatially present, he's close to us. That's the primary meaning. The secondary meanings, like like um, a, talking about a point of time or an event, like something something that's going to happen that's close. Um, but to me, this primary driving force in Paul's exhortation to the Philippians isn't primarily a future distinct event that is certainly going to happen and is meaningful, like super meaningful, super important. But it is this sense of God's. Spatial nearness, that he is actually present near to us. That both things are true, both the future nearness of the coming of Christ and the nearness of his presence. They go hand in hand, of course, but there's a distinctive need in a person who is anxious, like our text speaks about, for the nearness of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. There's a distinct need for an angry person or a sad person or a doubting person or someone in relational difficulty to not only know intellectually or theologically that the Lord is uh, near in some manner, but experientially that the Lord is really near, like really spatially near. He is at hand. He is at my right hand. He is right here with me. He is with us. And over the last number of months, as we've prayed and prayed for healing and restoration for many, I've been so encouraged and seen the Lord answer our prayers on numerous occasions. I've been encouraged to pray for those things specifically, praying for the Spirit to move, praying for worship to be sweet, praying for victory over sin and healing of relational struggles in marriages and in families, between parents and kids, and between one another. But towering above all, other those, all, all those prayer requests and other prayer requests has been the prayer that each of us would not only know the nearness of the Lord, because I would imagine all of us know intellectually that the Lord is near, but that we would feel deeply intimately, powerfully, the relational, spatial presence of the Lord. And to help us move along in understanding a bit more of this, I want to just take a moment to stop on this passage. I was supposed to move on into this next area, but felt felt very compelled, again, on my way home from Canada, that I need to fix, we need to fix our eyes on this. 
just for a little bit more. Certainly not gonna exhaust the topic, but I wanna think about this together to consider this important little sentence, to look at what the Bible says from beginning to end about the nearness and effect of the relational presence of God in the lives of his people. And so for our time together in the Word this morning, we're gonna just consider two primary points. This is a total topical sermon, but I'm trying to make it into a biblical theology kind of uh, conversation with you, speaking about the presence of the Lord being something that undergirds the storyline of the Bible, and then secondly, the presence of the Lord is a blessing to all those who trust him. Those are the two points we're going to try to make this morning. The presence of the Lord undergirds the storyline of the Bible, and secondly, the presence of the Lord is a blessing for all who trust in him. First point, the presence of the Lord undergirds the storyline of the Bible. Now, God's intentions from the span of history, from the beginning of creation until its final consummation is, and you've heard us say this plenty of times, is to dwell among a people for him that that he loves, that he chooses, that he spends time with, he cares for them and dwells with them. He dwells with them. So the the way that the, the word that you'll continue to hear this morning is this, he dwells among us spatially, physically, at our right hand, personally, those whom he has made his own. The, the story of God's word, as we know, opens up in Genesis with a very personal and relational God creating the world and then relating to people in the garden he had placed them to be in. In, in Genesis 1 verse 2, we read about the spirit hovering over the waters and the powerful presence of the transcendent God uh, hovering and he's present and he's active. But then in chapter 2, that transcendent, powerful presence of God in creation moved in and Yahweh formed man. It's not not just some sort of mystical formation. He formed a man. And then he breathed into the man's nostrils. He planted a garden. He took the man and put him in the garden. He brought animals to the man. He created woman and brought her to the man. God wasn't just simply somewhere out there sitting on a throne saying this, this, this. He was personally and spatially present in the garden. Then in chapter 3, verse 8, What do we see but Yahweh himself taking on human form and walking in the garden in the cool of the day? Not not far off, personally present. Walking in the garden, what seemed to be some sort of traditional thing that they were doing together, walking in the garden with Yahweh. And most important of all, God, God had placed them in the garden with everything provided for them. And most important of all, the presence of God himself. He wasn't simply present out there somewhere, ruling and reigning as the king on a heavenly throne, although his authority is certainly clear as creator, and certainly he does rule over the universe. He was also clearly, spatially present and in relationship with his creation, walking and talking with his people. And humanity was made to enjoy unhindered fellowship with his creator. You were made, I was made to have unhindered fellowship with God. And obviously something gets in the way, right? We know what happens next, the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Those who had enjoyed that sweet, relational, spatial presence of their God are banished from the garden and banished from God's presence. Banished from the place of his presence. And therefore also there were 
moved away from the benefits of God's presence. Things like life, peace, safety, provision, preservation, joy, and the need to return to the place where God dwells and to reestablish the close personal relationship with God becomes the theme then that is going to carry on throughout the entirety of this book that we have before us. This Bible, God's Word, comes to a glorious finale in Revelation 22. 21, actually, where we see God dwelling with his people on that final day. And 22, we'll read it in a few moments. Immediately after humanity sinned and lost the privilege of intimate fellowship with God. God promised in Genesis 3.15 that he was going to crush the evil that had spoiled his creation, threw them away from his presence, and restore humanity to their rightful place in creation with fellowship with God. And God gave specific expression to that promise that he made in Genesis 3.15 by revealing himself personally to Abraham and calling Abraham to himself. And God promises blessings to Abraham, including making him a great nation, Genesis 12, 2. And God covenanted himself to Abraham and his offspring, and he promised to be their God and to make them his people, whom he would, guess what? Dwell with. And he would dwell with them. And stories are plentiful then through the rest of Genesis concerning the personal presence of God with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then after Abraham's descendants were enslaved in Egypt, we see God beginning to fulfill some of the covenant promises he had made with the patriarchs, those those men I just mentioned. That God would move to restore the lost relationship created by the banishment of people from his presence in the garden. And God reveals to Moses at the burning bush spatially present in that moment, speaking to Moses. The holy ground. And he introduced himself as Yahweh, which means I am. I am the present one. I am with you. I am in your presence. I am for your people. And that as he goes to speak with Pharaoh, he promises in Exodus 3.12 that he will be with him. You go. You believe. I'm, I'm with you, Moses, and I will go with you. Not just a distant God who is mildly interested or mostly interested or mildly disinterested. He is going with him to this place. And then... What is it we come to know but that God delivers his people from Egypt and he personally leads and guides them and protects them through the sea, across the desert as a pillar of cloud by day and a fire, a pillar of fire by night, Exodus 13, 22. And he's taken them to a place called Mount Sinai where he enters into covenant relationship with them and he makes them into a nation there. And what does he do? But he comes down, the mountain goes on fire and his presence is powerful, palpable, and he's seen and he's spatially present, not just out there somewhere. Somewhere. At the heart of this covenant that he makes with this nation that he's building, he says this in Exodus 6 7 I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And then a little later in Exodus 29, he says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. I am Yahweh. I am, I am. I am with you. I'm dwelling with you. Not far off. I'm dwelling with you. You are my people. I am with you. And of course, 
foundational to God's plan for relating to his people and blessing them through his covenant is this close nearness, this at-handedness, yet intense, glorious, indwelling presence. So the one who dwells among God's people is not a is not just a, a, a figment of their imagination or something they kind of conjure up. This is the powerful, infinite, almighty God who is dwelling with them. And yet, if he's to dwell right in their midst, he needs a place to stay, so they, need, they, they end up building the tabernacle for him to come to in God's place of residence. And, and at the end of Exodus, what is it we see but the powerful and spectacular personal presence, spatialness of Yahweh covering the tent of meeting, filling it with his presence, his glory, and God dwelling right in the middle of his people. Holy God dwelling among his people. And of course, the next couple of books speaks about um, laws and commands that he creates so that a holy God can live in the group of people like you and I. In the book of Joshua, we read God telling Joshua as he prepares the people of God to go into the promised land, he says this to him, Joshua 1.9, have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is what? with you wherever you go. And the stories continue piling up from Ruth and Samuel and Saul and David and Solomon through the historical books, through the wisdom literature and God's word and the prophets and in 1 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles, Solomon builds the temple and the glorious holy presence of God comes in dramatic, spectacular fashion into the temple in Jerusalem to reside there, providing amazing blessings for God's people provided they worship him rightly. And yet what we come to find in the Old Testament is despite receiving many promises, many blessings from God, like the presence of his, pers- his spatial presence in the tabernacle and temple, the promise of the promised land, the possession of that promised land, and the extensiveness of the kingdom of Solomon, Israel's rebellion and idolatry finally bring judgment to the nation. Uh, both Israel and Judah are driven from God's presence spatial presence and judgment falls on the land and falls on Jerusalem and even the temple is destroyed and the people who had been formed as this group of people, this Israel, are now found far away from the land where God dwelled and as we find out in the book of Ezekiel, the spatial, near, personal and relational, powerful, intimate presence of God himself departs. Nonetheless, God does not abandon his people, but he remains faithful to his covenant promises. Even during the exile, God pledged to restore the nation to the land and renew the hearts of his people. And after they returned from exile and experienced the partial fulfillments of his promises, God promises to act again to dwell personally with his people. He says this in Malachi 3.1, last book in our Old Testament. He says, behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. He will suddenly arrive. He will suddenly come back and come into his temple. So in Matthew chapter one, verse 23, we're made aware that this Emmanuel is showing up and the Emmanuel defined as what? God with us. 
So Jesus arrives, this, the gospels speak about this, the New Testament, we read about God becoming flesh, this incarnation, him becoming flesh. We read that God revealed himself most fully and he dwelt among his people most personally through his son, Jesus Christ. John chapter one, verse 14 says, and the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so we spent nearly two years in the Gospel of Luke together over these last few years, walking with Jesus, seeking him, seeing him truly, spatially present with people, really walking the streets, really being with these men, really being a real man and real God, walking on this planet. And by the end of each Gospel, we come to the point where Jesus dies and he's resurrected. And it's in Jesus' death, his atoning, uh, substitutionary death and his victorious resurrection that God provides what is needed for us to be in right relationship with him again, to be able to dwell with him and for him to dwell with us. To enjoy the blessings of his presence, to truly dwell with him now and forever, if they place their trust in his perfect record of obedience and his atoning sacrifice in their place, thus providing for them peace, confidence, and freedom, and full out access to the presence of the Lord at any time, any place, not just simply on a city, in a city, or in a location, or on a hill somewhere but always having access to his presence. But then Jesus leaves at the end of Luke, or at the beginning of Acts. He ascends to the Father's right hand, and yet he sends the helper, the Holy Spirit, the active presence of God among us, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Acts chapter two, that Joel, God's word speaks of it throughout the Old Testament, but Joel two in particular speaks of this event happening in Acts two, the spirit comes to strengthen and empower and sanctify and to teach and to open eyes and to comfort and not just to walk around with us, but actually indwell us and fill us incredibly and increasingly through our lives, not just as some sort of cosmic power, but to feel and to know primarily the personal and powerful presence of God within us. So, so that the spirit fills us that we would, we would be empowered and enabled to walk in a way that he designs us to walk, but also to have sweet, intimate fellowship with him. So as the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit of Pentecost, the church in union with Christ and indwelt by the Spirit now actually becomes what was once the tabernacle, what was once the temple. Now the church becomes the actual place on earth where God dwells. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, do you not know that you all, the church, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He dwells in us, not just around us, not just up there. He, he dwells in us. His power is within us, the power that is at work in us and through us. It is the power of Almighty God and to know his presence. We don't have to vie for his presence. We don't have to try to, try to finagle something to, to get his presence. We have the presence of Almighty God at work in us. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, God's sustaining presence is taught over and over and over again. The New Testament authors speak of God's sustaining presence in the life of the believer and the community in straightforward and encouraging terms like 
strengthening and comforting and offering grace and mercy and Sabbath rest, Sabbath rest in the presence of the Lord that isn't just for that day when we see him face to face, but, but today that there is a Sabbath rest to enjoy now, not just from works of righteousness that, that we thought we had to do, but now Christ has done, we, yeah, we have that freedom to trust in God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness and to enjoy that rest from, from working so hard, but we also get the opportunity just to rest. Stop working. Trust me. Enjoy my presence. And then peace in his presence. And we continue on through the final letters and we arrive at the revelation to the apostle John and we're told that when the risen and ruling Jesus Christ returns, God's people will once again dwell with him and experience absolutely unhindered fellowship in his presence as it was in the garden of Genesis 2, except there'll be no more opportunity for sin because the enemy will be put away. No more sin, no more death. This is what he says, consummation in the new Jerusalem, God purposing to dwell among a people he has made his own. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Look, I know that these are familiar scriptures, but man, spirit, would you please lay this on us heavy this morning. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will as the near spatial God wipe away every tear from your eye. He will take death and turn it upside down as no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so friends, this is just a, a, a brief sampling of what God's word has to say about this, of, a, of a, any sort of biblical theology of what God's word has to say about the spatial and presence of the Lord, the Lord's nearness, his at-handedness. It's not just a feeling that we try to muster up. It's not just a theological point to know, but it's that which undergirds everything in our lives and gives us the hope and the peace and the contentment and safety and assurance that we are each looking for. Each of us hungering, hankering for this that, that is ours in the presence of the Lord. Moses understood this you know, when he says to God in Exodus 33, he says, hey, well, he probably didn't say hey, he just said, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. He got it. I don't want to live this life if you don't go with me. See, and his promises all through scripture is what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the relational and spatial experience, presence of the Lord that God's word tells his people that we have the blessing to be assured of, to, to know and to feel and to believe. And even when it seems that God is absent or far off, and we feel that, right? But the truth is, he's with us. He's with us. Many of the psalmists describe the power and the protection and the provision of the relational and spatial presence of God, even in the most sorrowful of lament psalms. I was thinking of Psalm 23, 
It's not a lament psalm, but it's, it's a great psalm about the Lord's nearness. It's one we're very familiar with, but listen to the spatial nearness here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are what? With me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because they're close, because he's spatially present. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, because you also know that you dwell in, in my presence right now, God. You, you, you're with me. You've not left me alone. You are with me, and I am with you. We are in this together, and we are walking through this life together to one day when there will be no more struggle, no more sorrow, when all things will be perfect well. You cannot read that psalm without seeing and feeling and the intimate, spatial, relational nearness of the care of God. And it's what we need. It's what we're crying out for, right? There's so much sorrow in this church. There's so much struggle that we're going through. It's a small church with so many things, big things We need a sense of the presence of the Lord. We know he's near. We know theologically he's near. We know our Bibles pretty decently. But do you feel that he's near? It's what we cry out for, that we would feel and know that which is objectively true and purposefully promised to us. And that takes me to the second point this morning. The presence of the Lord is a blessing for all who trust in him. Surely already been seen in God's word, but what about you and I specifically? Do you trust God? Have you believed on him? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is most certainly Lord of all and Lord over your life and believe that God raised him from the dead and therefore you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, looking forward to the day when you see him face to face and trusting him for the present? If so, There is significant blessing in the Lord's presence to be truly experienced today and not just on some future date when either Jesus returns or we pass from this life to the next. I mean, the latter is most certainly true. It's most gloriously true. God's word clearly tells us that his presence is spatially present, not just then, but now. Spatially present now to be really, truly enjoyed and to find contentment in and to find joy. And a matter of fact, everything we've talked about in Philippians and everything we're going to talk about in Philippians for the next two sermons, anyway, is true. Paul can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not because he's a tough guy, but because he knows the Lord's presence is with him. And if he knows the Lord's presence is with him, then a little bit of money or a lot of money, difficulty in life, disease, a messenger of Satan, uh, this, I don't know, I, for some reason, it's thorn in his side, that, that's what that was. Uh, just like those kind of things that are happening in his life, it's like, 
they affect him and he's been punished and he's been brutalized and all that kind of stuff. But somehow in all of this, he has learned to be content. How? Because he knows the Lord is near with him. How many missionary biographies where miserable things happen to them and they endure those things not because they're super Christians but because they have a sense of the Lord's presence with them or in the English Reformation being handcuffed and marched off to the fire to burn because they were saying that there's only one way to be justified before God. Normal people, just like you and I, and yet marching to the fire with resolute hearts, certainly with some level of fear inside as well, but a sense that the Lord is near, both with them and just on the other side of the fire. Among the myriad of blessings that accompany the relational spatial presence of God in our lives, these four intertwined areas that I want to mention this morning. There's more than these, but these are just four things that I'm going to talk about. The relational presence of the Lord gives us a sense of peace. The relational presence of the Lord gives us a sense of peace. Do you want a sense of peace? If that could just stay up there and um, until the next slide has to go up. If you want a sense of peace, which I cannot imagine that not, that, you know, not all of us want, we want peace inside. Well, the relational spatial nearness and presence of God will give us rest from all of the turmoil and confusion around us and give us peace. He, he will go before us and bring rest, the peace that we look for in our lives. Jesus himself said this. This is, a, this is a promise from him, John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I am giving you peace. How is he giving us his peace? Presence presence the power of the spirit it's better that i go away jesus says so i can send the spirit to you minister to you and strengthen you and empower you to to strengthen you and to give you peace and even though external circumstances may be entirely turbulent in your lives the relational spatial sense of god's nearness and presence that the holy spirit gives affords us great peace and knowing this the psalmist says something like this may god be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us this was a prayer a prayer for god's face to shine upon us to have god's face shine upon us is another way to say experience his presence his pleasure his look at us his smile on us as those who are in christ perfectly satisfied in the beloved and he looks at us looks at us and he says i am close i am with you trust me shalom comfort strength provision protection peace Similarly, but more specifically, the relational presence of the Lord provides comfort in times of trouble or times of anxiety. Isaiah 41.10. It's 
all, this, this truth is all over the place, but this one, this one's a, a biggie. Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. How many of us feel dismayed? How many of us fear? How many of us are overwhelmed by our circumstances? Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And he does so in spatial proximity. He's he's with us. Not just far away, mildly disinterested. That's not our God. He is both in heaven ruling and reigning and yet also with us, spatially present, strengthening us. When we realize that God is with us, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to realize this and to grow in this, and this will be growth through the rest of our lives, our fears dissipate because we recognize that he is stronger than any force that can harm us. He is stronger than that fear we fear. Knowledge and belief of the presence of God with us gives us the strength we need. He helps us, he strengthens us, he upholds us. We need not fear that we lack anything because God will be with us to give us all we need so we get up in the morning and whatever our circumstances are, whatever difficulty we're facing, we recall the declaration of God himself, I am with you, I am with you, I dwell with you, I'm strengthening you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand and we move into our day with faith that he will be true to his word who he is and for each person who trusts in the Lord we always live we are always able to live called to live in this relational spatial enjoyment and experience of the presence of the Lord as we hear Jesus promise even at the end of Matthew chapter 28 verse 20 when he says this to the disciples the last things one of the last things he says behold I am what? With you always, even to the end of the age. There's a believe it, friends. God is not like man that he should lie. His promises are yes and amen. Nothing will break his promises. He is faithful. Lamentations 3, 22, 23, right? The new mercies every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He, he is, he will do what he has said he will do. He, he does what he says he will, uh, what he says he's going to do, and he is who he says he is, spatially present with us. Do you feel it? Do you feel his presence? Do you know he's near in your pain, in your anxiety, in your stress, in your sadness, in your sorrow, in your tears, in your loneliness? Furthermore, the relational presence of the Lord also gives us a sense of protection. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2 says this, but now thus says the Lord, uh, Yahweh, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. The, The presence of God with us will give us protection when we pass through the fire, when we pass 
fast through the water. We, not, we need not fear the storms and floods and fiery experiences to go through because God will be with us and he will protect us and he will guard us and he will keep us. And it may be that you feel in your heart, even right now in this moment, God's not very good at protecting me. I got so much junk in my life. I got so much difficulty in my life. I don't feel protected at all. Well, none of us desire to pass through the waters. None of us desire to pass through the fire. Nobody wants hardship. Millions upon millions upon millions of Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have walked through the waters, walked through the fires of persecution or disease or old age or anxieties or various sorrows, even unto death. All of them, all of them died, except for ones that are living today. Hebrews 11 speaks of some of these, this cloud of witnesses. Men and women who experienced similar things that you and I experienced. Some far worse, some far less. So you're not alone, no matter how isolated you might feel. Listen, if one views this life as the only true reality, then you will succumb to the temptation to the believe, to the belief that the Lord is not true to his word to protect you and guard you. But when one is given eyes by the Spirit to see that as true and real as this life is, there is a greater eternal reality that exists where we who are in Christ will never be consumed, never be consumed, we realize that when in this life we go through the waters of the rivers or the fires, yes, it stinks and it's filled with sorrow and pain and tears, but the Lord is spatially with us and he's keeping us and he's guarding us and he's protecting us and he's got his arms around us amid the waters, amid the rivers, amid the fires so that we are not utterly consumed because outside of him, we totally would be utterly consumed, but with him, with him we are protected and never fully consumed and that one day we will have full freedom, full hope, and not consumed whatsoever, and we will experience full life. But there is life to experience now in the pain, and it's in his presence. With his arms around us, and experience the joy of his presence with us in the waters and the fires, with the assurance that we will be presented with great joy before the undiminished presence of God's glory to enjoy him forever. And that leads to the fourth thing. The relational presence of the Lord gives us a sense of refreshing joy. King David, if you know King David, you know he endured many difficulties. Some brought on by himself, much brought on by just being a person, others brought on by other people being people. He counted it a joy to experience the Lord's presence and as Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, he quotes the following. He says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Spatial, relational presence. Now, right now, yes on that day. But now walking through turmoil with him, with me, enjoying him now, enjoying his presence now. 
Just a chapter later in Acts 3, Peter describes the presence of the Lord as the source of blessing for all who place their faith in Christ when he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from where? The presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing that come not from some far-off deity that you ascribe allegiance to, but times are refreshing now from a spatially present, near-at-hand God who loves you and he's promised to never leave you or forsake you and to keep you and protect you and preserve you and present you blameless before his presence with great joy. Friends, we could go on and on and on and on, but I just want to jump to a little bit of application here. Because listen, you might be saying, all right, okay, I get it. The Lord is present. I hear what you're saying, but how is it How in the world can I feel it to be true? I I don't doubt that what you're saying is right. How in the world do I feel it? How can we really experience this powerful relational nearness of God in real time and real space today and this week in our struggles and temptations and dryness and weariness? This, this is a huge deal. I'm just going to suggest three things. And these are certainly not the only three things, but they're three massive things that I think positions ourselves to experience that which is objectively true. The first thing is prioritize the Sunday celebration service. Prioritize what we are doing right now right in these hours. Like every Christian, you need, I need, the spiritual nourishment of the means of grace of our Sunday celebration services. And you you may need to consider that you have not been thinking rightly about the gathering that we experience each Sunday morning. You may just be here because it's just kind of what you do on Sundays. Attending church is part of your week. You always have done it, you always done it. It's just like part part of who you are, part of what you do. Your expectations are generally low, Non-existent, maybe, even as it pertains to experiencing the powerful presence of the Lord as we gather. But let me adjust your thinking for just a moment. As I've mentioned often at the beginning of services together on Sunday mornings, even as I spoke just a little bit of it this morning, we don't come here to simply gather in this location in Bellbrook, in this school, in this setting. We certainly do come here, but, but there's a There's an interaction between the heavenly realm and what we're doing here. Kind of like the interaction, it's not not entirely the same, but kind of like the interaction between God sitting on his throne and sitting between the cherubim in the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. Some sort of both and. Power and presence We come by the blood of Jesus into the very presence of God when we gather together as a church. We don't try to woo God's presence down here somehow as though he's distant and disinterested unless we get our hearts right and the music is just so and the prayers are dynamic. No, we come by faith, by the blood of King Jesus before the very presence of the Lord on his throne with confidence that he welcomes us and he smiles on us as we worship him with joy and thanksgiving and make a request known to him. 
If, if we're bored or disinterested or, or distant in mind when we gather, friends, we are not thinking right. The way people think about church is just not right. Some, on account of wrong thinking, would suggest that attending their local church is one of many good options for a Sunday morning, or that watching from home is just as profitable as actual attending in person. Listen, if, if the gathered church is simply a transfer of information, then certainly those things might be true. But if it is much more than that, if it is actually together going into the presence of the Lord together to worship him and to enjoy him and to hear from him, well then, I mean, is there not a difference between the two? Through the means of worship and song and dependent prayer, the reading and exposition of the word of God and articulation of the gospel and sitting in that and enjoying that, and the celebration of the sacraments like communion where we actually eat and drink the sustaining presence of Jesus' body and blood rather than simply just remembering something intellectually, we're sitting under the means of grace that God has given us to experience his spatially relational presence together. While we can come confidently before the throne at any time and enjoy his presence anytime, there's something uniquely powerful when we do so as a unified church body. Which is why David says in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. There's something uniquely powerful about together as the church, as the church coming before the throne together, worshiping him, learning from him, growing together and enjoying his presence. So prioritize the Sunday celebration service and, and man, heighten your expectations. We're coming before the throne by the blood of Jesus. There's power there. And there is peace there. And there is joy there. And there is strength to be had and comfort to be had in this place together. Don't let church, don't let what we do here on Sunday mornings become one of many options. Come. I mean, you're here. But Continue and prioritize all the more. Second, pursue the filling and gifts of the Spirit. Pursue the filling of and the gifts of the Spirit. Now, individually, this is true, but it's all the more true corporately. Absolutely, the filling of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are to be experienced and enjoyed individually. But if you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you tell me what the purposes are for the filling of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. It is for the common good of the church. Strengthening, enjoying the presence of the Lord. When someone comes, you've, 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 you've felt it before, when someone comes and shares from this microphone or sings something or, or comes to you after and they, they speak a word, uh, it might be a prophetic word or it might be a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, any of those gifts in, in scripture where it's like they're kind of reading your mail what God's saying in that moment through the gifts of the Spirit is, I am near. I know you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I mean, the, the love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, which is right smack dab between 12 and 14, which talks a lot about gifts, a lot about the Spirit. What does he speak of but a one another love? 
not just a marital love, which just shows up at, 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 um, at weddings and stuff, that's certainly true, but, but it's, a, it's love in the church. It's, it's not a highlighting of the gifts over top of love. It is, it is the, the presence of the Spirit through the gifts and empowering that's going to create love for one another that looks like 1 Corinthians 13 increasingly because 1 Corinthians 13 describes the love of God. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to conform us into the image of Jesus. So when chapter 14 speaks of earnestly pursuing all the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, is it not then described as for the purpose of strengthening the church with a sense of the Lord's nearness and activity? The gifts of the Spirit aren't meant to be ends in themselves, but so that we would be strengthened and encouraged and consoled with the truth that the Lord is indeed near. And so bring on spiritual gifts. Let us not fear them. Friends, to not pursue the filling and the gifts, filling of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit because you're fearful or because you're lazy or because you're simply disinterested reveals not only a heart that's disobedient in some manner but isn't interested in actually enjoying the spatial, present nearness of God among us. I mean, we would never say that. And maybe we've never put two and two together, but that's what it is. When was the last time you listened to the voice of Jesus saying, Luke 11, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who do what? Ask. So are you regularly asking for fresh empowerment from God through the Spirit who dwells within you? to live a godly life, to battle sin, to be delivered of anxiety, to be comforted amid the difficult circumstances, to serve others and care for others, to be a minister of grace to others. When was the last time you asked for any of the gifts of the Spirit that you might be used by God to strengthen others in this church and to know the Lord is indeed near? The Holy Spirit's filling and gifts are promises of God to experience the active presence of God in our lives. We don't have to just simply ask here this morning, although I want to, we need to, but just these few 90 to 120 minutes that we have every Sunday, this is a special time for us to pursue these things together. But I'm not sure how many hours are in a full week, but take away 120 minutes or two hours from that and you have whatever. How is your pursuit of the Holy Spirit? The third application. So first would be to prioritize this gathering, to second, to pursue the filling of and the gifts of the Spirit, and three, practice a life of personal and corporate prayer. Uh, Prayer can be defined as many things, but I want to make specific mention of what I believe is of enormous value, maybe the highest value, and that is communion with God, Uh, relationship, conversation, talking to your father, talking to your brother, your savior. I sat a few months ago 
in Nisros, Greece, and um, sat on a bench out by the water. You know, I've had moments where I've felt the Lord's presence near me, but often my mind is just scrambling, thinking about this, thinking about this, thinking about all these, all these other things. And it was after, I mean, we, we were probably at this point gone um, like nine weeks out of, from being here still. We sat, I sat there and I was just, my mind was filled with what I should be doing or what I shouldn't be doing or all that kind of stuff. And I felt, and Lynn, I shared this with you out, out on the deck one day, but just like I felt like Jesus sat beside me. And I didn't have to say anything. I just got to slow down for long enough to feel his presence. And it restored my soul. Friends, if we don't slow down, we don't know how to slow down. He's given us the Sabbath day, but we're not Sabbatarian. So we don't take Sabbath. We have young families. How in the world, how in the world can you get away to Niceros, Greece and sit at the beach? You waking up every hour in the middle of the night? You wake up in the morning and you're bushed, you're tired, your kids are vying for your attention? Where do you find the rest? Where do you find communion with God? I don't have an answer. Everyone's situation is so different. There's no easy answers. But friends, there is a promise of the Lord in the Sabbath somehow to find Sabbath rest, to enjoy his presence, to put away the work around the house, to change things up in your household for the day, going to look different as a young family, but to be able to just put away the phones, put away the weights of the world, turn off the news, and just rest in the presence of the Lord together as much as you can. Five minutes, half an hour, three hours. An experience of his presence through giving thanks, through intercession, through crying, through pleading, through praise and adoration, and yes, even through long periods of silence where you just feel like, am I getting anything accomplished? Yes, you are, because you're sitting in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord is with you. Sitting with me on the bench, put his arm around me, and no talking. There was talking along the way, but there was much time just sitting there, staring off into the distance and enjoying the presence of the Lord. Maybe it's walking through the woods alone or with your family and looking around you, not seeing God in everything like in some sort of weird, weird way, but seeing God in everything. God created everything. You look at a tree, God made that tree. You look at your child, God made that child. You look at your house, get what God made. He didn't build the house, but he gave you the things, that he gave somebody the things to build your house. You look at the stars and the sky, the sun and the moon. God made 
all of those things. Everywhere you look, When we gather together on Sundays and in community groups or prayer groups or Bible studies or in our homes, we pray together and we pray for one another that the Lord would make us know that he is near and present. We pray for each other, pray for healing and all that, but can I encourage you, when you gather together, pray this prayer. Lord, I know you're near. Help my sister, cause my sister, cause my brother to know that you're near, not just in their mind, but to feel your nearness. Now we can pray for that all day long, over and over and over again, and he will be true to his promise because it's not as though we're trying to get him near. We just need our eyes open to see that he is in fact near. Experiencing the powerful, intimate, joy-inducing, relational presence in the everydayness of our lives is the privilege of all who hope in Christ. It's your privilege, friends. It's my privilege to enjoy the relational presence of the Lord Jesus Christ.